Amen. So newsflash, church, the economy isn't going so well right now. I know it's a shocker. And the rate of change isn't going to shift to the good anytime soon. Uh, if you are a student of economics and trends and watching what's happening, you will know that it's probably going to be accelerating in the wrong direction for some time to come. So with that positive insight in mind, uh, most people have this kind of thing of looking for deals anywhere we can find them, right? I mean, we like deals. I went through the drive-thru the other night after Jonah's baseball game uh, at Taco Bell. And we got our food, and he was about to throw the receipt into the bag to get rid of it. And I snatched that bad boy out of his hand. Like, give me that receipt. And I scanned it into the Taco Bell app, and I got points. <laughs> it's points. I'm halfway to a free crunchy taco. Come on. I was going to talk about Taco Tuesday at Rosa's next as a deal, but then I realized all my deals were about food, and they were all about tacos. Uh, and I don't want you to get the wrong idea about me. And then I realized... Actually, that's a pretty accurate idea about me, so uh, <laughs> every one of you knows me well enough to know that food and I have a great relationship, and I'm always looking for deals in the area of food. But from discount codes when shopping online to paying for gas at Walmart with the app uh, to save three cents a gallon every time, we're always looking for a deal, uh, more bang for your buck. And so that's why today I'm excited to let you know that this is Bonus Sunday. You didn't know when you walked in the door that this was Bonus Sunday. For the last three weeks, we've been fact-checking those things in the Bible that people believe to be true. But after further review, after further study, we discover that they really are pretty off the mark. Uh, sometimes they're misleading. Other times, they are openly dangerous to our faith and what we believe about God and how we're supposed to live out our faith in this life. And on this Bonus Sunday... You are getting a two-for-one. So uh, because on this topic we're fact-checking today, there are two different misconceptions that are floating around out there, and I really need to cover them both today. Uh, maybe they're even floating around in this room, that some of us believe one or the other of these things. So let's take a look, but before we do a little preview for next Sunday... Uh, we are going to wrap up our fact check series next Sunday, and we're going to talk about an incredibly important and really eternity-shaping topic uh, as we wrap this up. Next week, we're going to fact check this statement, everyone who believes in Jesus goes to heaven. So that's what we're going to fact check next Sunday. Uh, make sure you're here as we wrap this message series up. But don't forget, today is a bonus two-for-one deal. That means that this sermon is going to be twice as long. Um, no, unfortunately for all of us, we're going to keep it around the same length. <laughs> as we look at this topic of how a Christian is supposed to relate to those who are not Christians. How should a Christian relate to those who are not Christians? About 31% of the world's population are Christians. 31%. But when you narrow that conversation to evangelical Christians... Okay, those who believe the Bible is truth, those who believe that the only way to heaven is through Jesus because of his life, his death, his resurrection to pay the penalty for our sins, evangelical Christians, that number drops from 31% down to 8%. So 8% of the world population, if that describes you this morning, what I just said, then 
only 8% of the world believes like you do. The question then is, how do we interact with the other 92%? You're not likely to meet all of them, but, you know, a representative portion of the 92%. According to the Bible, how should we treat them? According to the Bible, how should we befriend them? How close should those friendships be? Uh, and there are a couple misconceptions out there this morning that I want to talk about for the next 20 minutes or so. So let's start off with the two misconceptions, and then we'll talk about each one. The first misconception is this. My relationships shouldn't change at all when I become a Christian. There's this misconception that's out there that just says, hey, my relationships are my relationships. I have a faith, but I'm also going to continue to just be who I am. Okay? The second misconception is this. Christians need to stay as far away from non-Christian people as possible. Now, obviously, these are very different paradigms here. These are very different beliefs. Uh, and yet, I've heard both of these in some degree said by Christians or even taught by some pastors uh, over my years in ministry. And I'm not going to go into detail on each just yet, but hopefully, as I read them, as I spoke them, you had a little twinge of, hmm, that's not quite right, uh, as I read each one of these statements. Because, like most of the topics we've covered in this series, there are elements of truth found in each one of those. There are elements of truth, but it's not the entire truth. And as we'll discover, the reality of how we should relate to those who don't share our faith lies somewhere in the middle of those two statements. But let's lay a foundation for our conversation today, and that is in 2 Corinthians 5.17. And it says this, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. Praise the Lord. That's a fantastic verse. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. If you are a Christian, you need to know from the start and you need to remind yourself daily that you are an entirely new person, or as I think it is better translated, an entirely new creation. You are a new creation. It is a complete transformation. God doesn't just kind of wipe off the old and, and leave a new image. He recreates you. You become a new person. The Bible describes it, as you know, as being born again. It is a completely new moment for you, a complete and total transformation. Born again, new heart, new desires, new perspectives on everything lies on the other side of a genuine conversion experience as we surrender our lives to the lordship of Jesus. Now, a lot of those changes that I described there will come naturally over time. It's not like instantaneously when you become a Christian that all of a sudden, every thought is different. All of a sudden, every action is different. No, a lot of those come over time as you are guided by the Holy Spirit, as he works out that salvation in us, as he transforms us and conforms us to the image of Christ. The jokes that you found funny are now offensive to you. The old movies no longer entertain you. Money is earned and spent with a different mindset, with different priorities. Goals for your children are completely overhauled on the other side. Also, as you read the Bible, you begin to discover God's incredible character, who he is, and his incredible plans for your life, and you start making decisions that realign your life with the desire to do his will instead of your will. You will be 
and you will live differently on the other side of salvation. So, with regard to the topic today, now that I am a believer, how do I relate to unbelievers? What is a biblical framework for how I should interact with people who are far from God? Should I pull away from them completely? Join a monastery, move to a compound high in the mountains, maybe just surround myself with only Christians, Christian co-workers, Christian friends, Christian neighbors, Christian pets. I mean, I am just like completely immersing myself in just Christendom all the time. And this position argues that, you know, we have very little in common with people outside the faith any longer. And unbelievers will only pull me away from Christ And since the world is not my home, I'd much rather just start spending time with the people I'll be spending time with for eternity. And this is some people's mindsets. Maybe some of you have lived this way before, or maybe you know some Christians who feel this way, that they have really just kind of separated themselves from anything that is not aligned with Christ. And they only interact with other people who share their uh, beliefs. On the other hand, some people who say they are Christians do just the opposite. Their relationships with unbelievers don't change at all when they make the decision to follow Jesus. They're hitting the clubs. They maintain their popularity at work. They enjoy the same company and attitudes that once drove them in the past. They argue that I love these people and I want to be around them. And to be honest with you, I find more pleasure in being with them than I do being with Christians. You know, like Billy Joel sang, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. Um, So let's look at that crowd first. Let's start there. Some people take the first statement, they run with it, that none of my relationships need to change when I become a Christian. What about those Christians? They don't change any of their relationships when they discover new life in Christ. Is that okay? And the answer here is going to be probably not. Um, High probability, not. Why? Because there are going to be relationships that you have in your life. There are going to be relationships that are going to influence you in a direction that is not where God is leading. There are going to be relationships that pull you away. And these temptations that come out of those relationships are going to look differently for different people. Uh, Some of you, you may struggle... uh, have struggled in the past or maybe continue to have it be a temptation. You struggle with drinking to excess. That's a temptation for you. So hanging out with friends at the bar while they get hammered is probably not a good idea for you. Some of you are tempted in the area of sexual sin. Listening to your friends share their exploits is not a good idea. Uh, We all have different areas where we are tempted more strongly than other areas of our lives. And it's important that we know our weaknesses. It's important that we identify those areas where we're weak uh, so that way we can not allow ourselves to have those close relationships that are going to cause unnecessary temptation to come in to our lives. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33 and 34. Don't be fooled by those who say such things. For bad company corrupts good character. Now here, Paul is warning some of the Corinthian church that the people they are hanging around with are corrupting them. The people that they are aligning themselves with are leading them in a wrong direction. And he says, think carefully about what is right and stop sinning. For to your shame, I say that some of you don't know God at all. 
So according to Paul here, not only can those relationships uh, prevent us from having the relationship with God that he intended for us to have, but Paul here tells us that some of them have lost their faith as a result, that they don't know him at all. And so those relationships, we have to be extremely cautious about close, intimate friendships with people who don't share our faith. Now, I'll give you some framework for that in a few minutes. I'm not saying you have to cut yourself off because we already talked about that, and we'll talk about that some more. But when we come to faith in Christ, there are going to be relationships that need to change. It's just the reality. Who those people are and how they need to change is something that you're going to have to figure out through prayer and through godly counsel. You're going to have to spend some time working through that with the Holy Spirit, with uh people in your life whose opinion and wisdom you trust, but there are other relationships that not only can stay a significant part of your life, but also are ones that God is going to use you to influence in an incredible way. So that's why this is such a, a, a difficult subject to navigate, because the answer is, well, sometimes yes, and sometimes no. And it depends on you. It depends on where you're at in your spiritual story. It depends on your faith and how strong it has become. It depends on your areas of temptation and weakness. It depends on how God wants to use you. All of those factors apply, and there's no clear yes or no answer. It really is going to require you spending some time asking God for direction and guidance. Does that make sense? It's it's, It's a struggle sometimes to navigate through some of these topics. But then there are some Christians who go to the other extreme. They want to have nothing to do with unbelievers. They believe that Christians need to stay as far away from non-Christian people as possible. So let's look at some scriptures that relate to this, you know, and where this concept might come from in scripture and see if we can figure it out this morning. Proverbs 1, 10 and 11 and 15. My child, if sinners entice you, turn your back on them. They may say, come and join us. My child, don't go along with them. Stay far away from their paths. Now, this looks pretty straightforward, doesn't it? I mean, it's written to a child of God. It's talking about sinners. And then it says, don't go with them. Stay far away from their paths. So one could read this and assume we shouldn't have anything to do with a non-believer, with a sinner. Stay away. Go the other direction. And I want to teach you all a very important word when it comes to reading and understanding Scripture, and that word is context. Context is a pretty simple concept, but it is massively important as you read the Word of God. Now, this is context. Context is that everything in the Bible should be read with an understanding of the circumstances in which it was written and in which it was intended. Okay? That's context. Now, you're like, whoa, okay, wait, huh? What what does that even mean? Let 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 me break it down with a series of questions. Who said something? Who did they say it to? What was their emotional state when they said it? Where was the person who said it? What motivated the person to say it? What authority or expertise did that speaker possess? Was the speaker being honest? Here's the thing. You can read something, advice in Scripture, where somebody was lying to someone else. That doesn't mean you should do it, because it was a lie. So, I mean, you have to understand the context in which things were stated. And that list could be expanded, the questions more and more. But it doesn't mean that context is complicated, because it's not. 
Context can cover a lot of ground, but it isn't really tricky ground to navigate. It isn't even something you have to learn, folks, because you've been learning this ever since you began to speak and listen to others speaking. We learn context. It comes naturally. You just need to pay attention and understand it. For example, I could stand here today and quote two verses found in the Bible. Judas hanged himself. Now, go and do the same. Those are both Bible verses, okay? They, they aren't in the same passage. They aren't talking about the same thing or relate to one another in any way. But if you don't pay attention, you can have a really scary understanding of what the Bible says, or in this case, doesn't say, okay? Context matters. So what about this passage that we're talking about here? The key to understanding this passage is right up front, and it is the word if, that is the key to understanding this verse. Everything hinges on that word. If sinners entice you. This verse is designed to protect you. This verse is designed to keep you safe, to keep you growing in your faith, to keep you from veering off the path that God has intended for you to walk. If the way that they are living is a temptation to you, if the actions they are currently involved in could lead you down a wrong path, if you struggle in an area that is something they are living out, then stay away. Go the other direction. If not, though, then you might have a reason for pursuing that relationship. More on that in a few minutes. Here's another one, New Testament this time, Romans 16, 17. And now I make one more appeal, my dear brothers and sisters. Watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you've been taught. Stay away from them. Once again, how do we figure out the real meaning of this passage? Thank you. Thank you, Emma. Very good. Yes, context. So who is writing this? Paul. Who is he writing it to? Paul is writing to the church in Rome. What is his purpose in writing this to the church in Rome? He's writing to warn them about false teachers who have infiltrated the churches. How do I know that? Because I read the verses right before this. Okay? He tells us this. So context, you read it, you understand it. Don't ever take just one verse and say, now I understand. You have to read around it. And these are people here that are claiming to be believers but are teaching unbiblical things about Jesus. Stay far, far away from those kind of people is what Paul is saying. But it has nothing to do with non-Christians. Paul is talking about people who claim to be believers but are teaching things that are not biblical. We need to have nothing to do with those people. The truth of the Bible is that there are plenty of passages that talk about the need to have relationship with people who are far from God. In fact, we're commanded to. We cannot live out the mission that Christ has called us to without meaningful relationships with people who are far from God. We can't live out the mission that Christ has called us to without meaningful relationships with people who are far from God. Do you remember the uh, series we did a ways back called Art of Neighboring? Anybody around for that? Remember the neighboring series that we did? Uh, we created a little chart uh, that we put on our refrigerator. I think we had magnets that we handed out that had the big graph on it. Anyway, you put your house in the middle, and then you, you, you put the nine homes that were closest to your home. It works better if you live in, like, Providence Village or, you know, one of these big HOAs where the houses are on a grid. But you put the houses that are around you, and then you filled in all the first names of the people that lived around you. 
And most people can't even come close to filling in the first names of the people in the nine homes closest to you. So you work on that. You get to know people. You swallow your pride and say, hey, I've lived next door to you for 14 years, and I don't know your name yet. Hi, I'm Jeff. You know, and you, you, you put all the names in. But then you, you can't stay there. You've got to grow that. So then you write down what they like and what they don't like in the boxes around them. Well, you don't get that from, hey, Bob. You don't learn what they like and don't like from those kinds of conversations. Because we have a lot of people in our lives that that's the equivalent of our relationship. You're walking down the hallway at work and you see Nancy. Hey, Nancy, that's it. That's how you know Nancy. But when we take time to have a conversation, learn what they like and don't like, now you've got a little bit more of a meaningful relationship. Finally, the last step is to learn their fears and their dreams. In our culture, we guard our fears and our dreams pretty tightly, don't we? We don't share those with just anybody. It requires some level of trust to share my fears, to share my dreams with you. And so if you get to a point, you've had enough, you know, family dinners together, you've had enough backyard barbecues, you've had enough, you know, time where you've spent with that person, where they trust you and you've developed the relationship to where you learn their dreams and your fears, guess what? You now have a platform of influence in their life. That is a meaningful relationship with somebody who does not yet know Jesus. So I want you to listen to this next verse and then explain to me how it's possible to live out this verse if we don't have relationships with those who don't know Jesus yet. 1 Corinthians 9, 22 and 23. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Okay? So Paul is saying, when I'm with those people who don't yet know Jesus, I want to bring them to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. What Paul is saying here is I'm going to be building relationships with people. I'm going to have meaningful relationships with people who don't share my faith so that I can introduce them to the gospel so they can learn who I am and what God has done in my life. If you're not intentional about living your faith out loud in front of people who need to discover how much God loves them, then you're not living your faith as God intended. Well, here's the thing, Pastor. I don't want to hang out with a bunch of people who live way differently than I do. They do things God doesn't approve of on a regular basis, and they don't think twice about it. And I don't want to compromise my beliefs and convictions and risk becoming like them. First off, you don't have to become like your environment. You've heard the thermometer thermostat comparison. You know, what does a thermometer do? You put it in a room, it adjusts to whatever the temperature is in the room, right? What's a thermostat do? It changes the temperature in the room. We're called to live lives as thermostats, not thermometers. Don't adjust to whatever the climate is around you. Change the environment around you. Let, that's what light does. Light shines into darkness, and it overcomes the darkness. It changes the darkness. It changes the environment. And so we need to actually change things around us. Uh, Jesus did this all the time. He was fully present in places where not great things were happening without compromising. In the story with the woman who washed his feet with perfume, the Pharisee said he obviously doesn't know who is touching him implying that if the Pharisee were Jesus, he would make her stop. The text doesn't say, but it's possible that the Pharisee was tempted or knew he would be and couldn't imagine Jesus allowing this to take place. 
Jesus loved this woman, a woman no one else loved, a woman everyone else pushed to the side due to the life that she lived, and he never sinned in doing it. But I'm not Jesus. No, you're not. Neither am I. None of us are Jesus. And we need to make sure that we don't blindly walk into something and not protect ourselves from compromising because we are all subject to sin. Even though we have the capacity to overcome temptation, Scripture tells us that clearly, I want to give you some quick thoughts on how to protect yourself from compromising when we're in these types of relationships. Number one, if you're doing it, going into an environment that you wouldn't normally find yourself in as a follower of Jesus, if you're doing it because you enjoy it or there's some secret thrill, stop. Check your heart. If you're going in there and there's just some titillating factor to it and you're just kind of like intrigued by the environment or the sin, then you need to get away from that because it's not a place you should be. It's not an activity you should be involved in. It's not something that you should be around. You may not be that far removed from a lifestyle that wasn't pleasing to God, so use good judgment. Pray. Ask the Holy Spirit for guidance. He will show you. Here's an example. I do not drink alcohol. That's a decision that I have made personally. Never have touched it in my life. My dad was an alcoholic. I've seen the destruction that it can cause, and I don't ever want to risk going down that road, and I don't want to ever potentially lead someone else down that road because maybe I can handle it, but they can't. I've chosen to never drink alcohol in my life. Now, the Bible does not say it is sin to have a beer, but it does say that it is sin to be drunk Ever, for any reason, it is sin. Okay? It's very clear in Scripture. So my conviction is that I will never drink, ever. Besides, with coffee, who needs anything else? Um, but if my neighbor or a friend of mine asked me to go out for a beer, I would absolutely 100% go with them. I'd have an unsweetened iced tea, which I know most Texans believe is a greater sin than getting drunk. Um, but... He'd have his beer, and we'd hang out, okay? That's not a temptation for me at all. I wouldn't be tempted. I wouldn't be thinking about going down that road. It wouldn't draw me in. But for someone else, that might be a huge temptation. Do you see the difference? You have to know yourself, know your limitation, know your weakness. Maybe you've had a drinking problem in the past. Be smart, like we talked about earlier, don't put yourself in an environment that it is an area of temptation for you. Number two, your closest friends should share your passion for God. Your closest friends should share your passion for God. Some of you have heard me share this illustration before, but I think it's really important we talk through it again. Um, I put my relationships into three categories in my life, three circles uh, expanding circles. At the very center of my life is the circle of intimacy, okay? The circle of intimacy is designed to be occupied by God and one person, and that is my spouse. The circle of intimacy is where I hide nothing. I share everything. There is nothing that is mine. It is ours. That is the circle of intimacy, and God wired you to share that place with one person and him. The circle of intimacy. Now, outside of that, then, is what I call the circle of influence. The circle of influence. These are the people that are close to me, close friends that I have around me that I allow influence into my life. 
I allow them to speak into my life. I allow them to, to change the trajectory of my life at times because God is using them. The circle of influence are people that I trust. These are the people that I spend the majority of my time with. These are the people that I hang out with. These are the people I do life with. And I want God to use them to help shape me, to grow me. And that's what Christian family is all about, is about growing one another. That's discipleship. Discipleship is not top-down. Discipleship is also together. God uses that as well. And so that circle of influence is huge in that there are people that we trust, that we that share our beliefs, that share our faith, and have the ability to influence and speak into our lives. The problem is some of y'all have allowed people who do not share your faith, who have a very different belief system, who have a way different thought on how you should live your life, you've allowed them into your circle of influence. And that's dangerous. In fact, I would argue it's wrong. You need to be really careful about allowing those people into your circle of influence. Outside of the circle of influence is a much wider circle that I call the circle of concern. The circle of concern are relationships and friendships that I have in my life that I have opened the door to relationship with somebody who is very different than me, has very different beliefs than I do, lives a very different lifestyle than I live, but God has brought them into my life for a strategic reason, and that is that I am concerned about their eternal well-being, and I want to have an influence on them. Very different circles there, and I relate to them in very different ways. By the way, uh, back uh, Easter, it might have been at a first Friday I shared this, it might have been on a Sunday morning, I don't remember, but I've been building relationship with some guys uh, in downtown Denton at a coffee shop that I frequent and just kind of investing in them and building that relationship, circle of concern. And uh, I've just been growing that relationship over time and had a really good breakthrough the other day and uh, was talking to him and he, he was asking how our house build was going and I told him, you know, where we were at, and he says, hey, by the way, this is my wife. He got married in the last month, and I had no idea, and so we celebrated that, and then he says, and we, we grew our family. We, we, we have five kids now. I'm like, what? And he's like, uh, yeah, we have five baby chicks, and, uh, and I'm like, dude, that's awesome. I said, we got chickens too, and, and I said, they're meat chickens, and, you know, we grow them, and we process them. He goes, no way, and he says, really? He says, could you teach me? I didn't say my wife does it. Uh, <laughs> I said, absolutely. Come on, bro. And so he says, next time you do it, man, I want to come out. I want to learn. So we've got an open door now that he wants to come and be a part of that and learn. And it's just another example of how God will continue to lead down that path of you can have an influence. And so be praying uh, for Caleb. Uh, I, I really believe that one day uh, we're going to have that opportunity to share the gospel and uh, speak into his life in that way. But anyway, that was just kind of a tangent there. I do that from time to time. Anyway, um, with the circle of concern, there's another illustration that I like to use because you're like, well, how do I know if it's okay? How do I know if that relationship is good? And uh, once again, another illustration you've heard me use, but it's something that I call the iceberg principle. Uh, and it's been with me for 35 years. I've known this because my youth pastor uh, taught me this when I was in youth group. And the iceberg principle says this, you know, there is a way to melt an iceberg and you can melt an iceberg by sitting on it. It's going to take a while, but you can melt the iceberg. And he says, 
with friendships, that with people that are far from God, uh, you can melt that ice. You can get them to a point of making a decision to follow Jesus, but it's going to take a while. It's going to take time, and you're going to have to sit there for a long time to get there. And he says, here's the thing. It's okay to sit on the iceberg as long as you're melting the ice. But the second your backside starts to get cold, it's time to get off. Because what's happening is it's starting to influence you as opposed to you influencing it. And that happens in our relationships as well. If you notice that your relationship with God is changing because of a relationship you have with someone in your circle of concern, you, it's time to back off a little bit. Does that make sense? You just have to be wise. You just have to pay attention. And one of the ways we do that is, is point number three. You need an anchor. You need something to tether to. That's God's word. That's Jesus. That's friends in your circle of influence that you can tether to. It's your neighborhood group. Uh, stay tethered to the people and truths that will keep you grounded where you need to be. That if you start to drift too far, they feel that pull on that tether, and they're going to say, hey, where are you going? What are these decisions that you're making? Final thought with regard to how we relate to non-Christians, and then we'll close. Some fear that they aren't good enough to reach out to others and that they're going to be rejected. I, I don't have that kind of faith. I, you know, I, I, I'm not a good enough person to do that. Here's the thing about people who are close to you, maybe even who live close to you. Maybe they're your next-door neighbors. You can't hide behind the religious mask when they hear you going off on your kids in the backyard you know, or because you left the window open. Uh, you can't pretend that you're Mr. Super Spiritual when they see who you are all the time. No, you, don't, you have to be real with the people that are close to you. You have to admit that following Jesus doesn't make you perfect. It makes you forgiven. Following Jesus doesn't make you perfect. It makes you forgiven. You don't have all the answers. You know the person who does. You are broken. We are all a mess some days. And there are days where the only reason that we're able to keep our head above water is because the hand of God is lifting us above the surface of the waves. And when it comes to rejection... We serve a God who understands rejection all too well. John 1 says he came to his own people and even they rejected him. He loves regardless. He loves, period. And what we need to realize is that it is this that makes our story real. It's this that makes it relatable. It's this that makes it believable. People need to see authentic followers of Jesus who are willing to admit that they're not perfect who are willing to break out of their church bubble and be present in the lives of those who are far from God, who are willing to show them what it means to put your trust in Jesus and what a life looks like when you do. Don't hide your scars, church, but don't parade them around and flaunt them either. Just be real. Be a person, but a person who loves Jesus and knows that they're loved by Jesus and let your story reflect his story, and let it transform their story. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for the guidance that your word gives us, for the wisdom that your Holy Spirit brings to our lives. God, we ask this morning that you would help us to navigate this sometimes tricky stretch of our spiritual road where we try to figure out how we're supposed to interact with those who are far from you. And God, I pray that you would help each one of us to look to you for guidance and direction, 
that we wouldn't go based on feelings. We wouldn't go based on what brings us the most, you know, feel-good moments or satisfaction. But, God, it would be because you are guiding and you are directing and you're pointing the way. And, Lord, I pray you would help each one of us to maybe uh, take some steps back in areas of our lives where we're putting ourselves too close to areas of temptation. God, I pray for those who are here this morning that they feel that tug and they're, they've been, maybe they've even slipped and they've been giving in in an area of temptation. And, God, you want to pull them back and you want to put them back on solid ground again. Lord, I pray that they would make a decision this morning that, God, they're going, to, they're going to have a reset take place, and they're going to get back on the right path. And, Lord, I pray that you would do that and continue to lead and guide and continue to grow them. Lord, I pray for those who have maybe been living isolated Christianity, that, God, they've, they've pulled back so far from the world that they're no good in the area of building relationship with people and having those meaningful relationships with people that are far from you. And, Lord, I pray that you would give them discerning eyes to see those people that you have strategically brought into their lives, that, God, that you have, you have already placed them around people, whether it's a, a neighbor or somebody who works in the next office or somebody that they interact with on a daily basis in their routine. There's somebody out there that, that you have placed in their lives that you want them to build a meaningful relationship with, and I pray that you would open those doors and, God, give them the courage to walk through. Lord, I pray that as we do this, Lord, we would grow stronger in our faith, and God, we would see countless lives transformed for the sake of the gospel. God, let the lost be saved. Let people who are far from God be brought near. Let people kneel at the foot of the cross and receive the forgiveness that you have intended for every man, woman, and child to receive. God, I pray that you would use us and use us in a powerful way to transform this world for you. We thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen.